Hey, BSP fans. This is Tim, and you're listening to episode 40 of the Black Swamp Podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in, and feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you happen to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts, please throw us some stars, and better yet, a review, as that helps boost exposure and push our little series out to more percussion enthusiasts like yourself. So I'm basically in between a few scheduled interviews, and I thought this would be a good time to hit the old memory lane and revisit some of our first episodes, uh, specifically with Todd Meehan, Andrea Benet, and Matthew Lau. I find these three distinctly creative uh, in their own unique career paths, either from building brands to exploring composition, and in Todd Meehan's case, being comfortable moving at a slower, more intentional pace. So have fun listening to the ex- excerpts, and I'll have links to their complete episodes in this episode's show notes. And speaking of Todd Meehan, if you're not familiar with Liquid Drum, certainly give it a Google. Todd has created a witty, uh, engaging, and contemporary approach to percussion, education, and community. Our full conversation was recorded in 2019. This is well before the pandemic. Uh, but I actually found it very timely after re-listening. Todd's thoughts on structuring work and life at a less frantic pace seems to resonate more now, uh, considering how all our lives uh, dramatically shifted over the last year. I think connected to the liquid drum concept and ideas is, is some stuff I've read of yours about creativity and about performance and just overall I don't know if you philosophies I guess or just yeah sort of ideologies so like for instance there was a um, like a blog post I wrote of yours about uh, the hustle and grind you know what right. and just taking time to to think and to live and not right. sort of run yourself into the ground I mean is that you know over the years you know ideas that you've developed and kind of integrated into this into liquid drum or is that yeah no yeah I think yeah it's a it's a big big part of it and I think you know one of the one of the reasons I I want and need there to be humor embedded in a lot of Mm -hmm. this is um is simply for the enjoyment factor. You know, like I right. um I jokingly tell my wife all the time, you know, like I I desperately want to retire, but I'm only 41 years old, so that's not going to happen anytime <laughs> soon. Right. Um you know, I'm ready I don't, to retire. Yeah, yeah. Um I I really at least at least right now and who knows, maybe it's 40-year-old man midlife crisis time for me right. uh, but i i'm really kind of feeling the um kind of the magic of of what it means to slow things down and to perhaps be a little bit more alive and awake and in tune with what's going on around me mm-hmm. and not just kind of head to the grindstone plowing away um I, you know it's it's just a very different existence than i had um, when I was in my mid to late twenties, when it was just about like, right. how many concerts could I do and what new rep can I learn and what can I record and what can I commission and all of that. And I think I'm right. perhaps in a more, um, observational state of, of life 
uh, or, or right. existence right now. And, um, and so those are the things that I think are just of greater value to me. And, right. uh, and of course it's just, it, it's where I am. It's not where everybody is, but I do think it's nice to hear that because, um, when I was, uh, 26 and started here and when I was you know doing all the stuff I was doing with maybe early duo days um I didn't know that it would be okay sometime at some point in my life to maybe not do it that way you know I kind of thought well this is what you do this is what it means to do this and um my existence needs to be built around um uh just sort of uh garnering you know trophies and awards and accolades for you know not that we get trophies and awards for you know playing concerts but you know basically that <laughs> right. every new concert i can put on my website or my cv and um that's what it's about that's 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 what this is supposed to be and i think right. there are parts of of what we do that are supposed to be like that um but i'm finding there are many many other parts um, that are quite different and uh, are still of equal value, and um, right. and 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 I acknowledge that. Yeah, I think part of it is just getting a little bit older. Um, but I, I mean, I want to still have life in me at right. you know at the age of sixty, and I don't want to be burned out, and I, and I don't, and I don't want to burn myself out doing this stuff so much that I quit before I get there. You know, because I yeah, think that sure. can happen. I think it can yeah. and, and has happened to other people. Well, and I, I think what's one thing you said, which is I think really important is it is good for people to hear. <laughs> like right. it's okay to, to not run yourself into the ground by the time you're 40. And I think right. you're right. It is sort of a age and perspective thing, but for you to be able to, uh, you know, talk about it with your students or to talk about it on, you know, one of your other platforms. Like, I think that's really important for people to hear. Cause I think tied to it also is, is success. Like you're talking, you're talking about, um, awards or accolades or notoriety or recognition. Like, right. you know, there, that's how you typically, I guess, measure success. But I think there's other ways to like, how do you, as you're kind of working through this, obviously, you know, you're, you're, you've been teaching for a long time and you've been involved in, in ensemble stuff and liquid drum. Like how did you kind of stay grounded or measure success as you were doing that, that maybe wasn't connected to a, a you know, specific award or notoriety? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, um, I think what I found and what I still find now, and, and one of the reasons I kind of like where I am with things right now is that um, I find that all of that stuff or some version of that stuff still comes in some way um, with basically what I feel like I'm doing now, which is which is trying to just feed into the community. Like, and I, I don't want to put it or phrase it as sort of, I mean, I'm giving back, I'm giving back to the community. Right. Um, right. Because that's patting myself on the back in a way that I, I don't mean to. But, um, you know, I think like, <laughs> whenever I post something on social media, as silly as it seems, I do feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to feed um, uh, some part of the community. And if I, uh, every now and again, either, you know, 
um, have in an interview with you, have you say, hey, you know, uh, we've gone around the country and, and people are into this or get just a, right. a, a direct message back from someone on Instagram saying like, hey, thank you so much for for this or for posting this or whatever, like that, that for me is, is really fulfilling. Um, uh, and again, not to stroke my ego, but just to know that like, oh, this is, this is doing something. Um, hopefully, you know, there is some value, uh, that is associated with this, that, that people are getting something out of it. And I think the, the, the reward part of it is, is just that. And so, um, and that's, that's pretty easy. Like I, I can, yeah. I mean, if I'm, if I can be satisfied with that, um, then I think I could probably do this for a long time. Now I'm not saying that I'm, you know, not going to perform anymore. Like I, you know, getting together with So and Doug a couple of weeks ago in Princeton was great fun. And we're going to, we're going to do it again and, and play a proper concert of Jason's tunes and any collaboration we right. have, like all of that, I really look forward to. Um, as well. And, and I, you know, that still needs to be a part of what I do in order to legitimize, um, any of these other things that I, that I put out. Um, but, but I don't need to, I don't need to do 50 of those things a year, um, anymore. And that, that just, it doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me in ways that it used to. Besides teaching at the University of North Florida, presenting master classes around the U.S., and performing with her duo Escape 10, Andrew Vinay has managed to focus attention on building a solid catalog of original percussion compositions. My conversation with Andrea actually produced one of the most memorable quotes from our podcast that I still reference almost two years later, and that's give myself permission. Andrea gave herself permission to pursue an interest that perhaps she didn't feel immediately trained or qualified for, but was drawn to as a creative outlet and wanted to explore. Super special side note, I actually got to see Andrea live and in person today. Uh, She's in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, not far from my house and Black Swamp headquarters. Um, She's performing with Annie Stevens, her Escape 10 duo partner, at a music convention in downtown Grand Rapids. It was cool to catch up with her and reminisce about this past conversation. Um, one thing I do want to talk about too is like composing. So not only you're, obviously, you know, we talked about some commissions that, that you're doing, but you do a lot of composing. Like how does that, when did that start, I guess? And then how does it kind of fit in with some of the other activities you have going on? <laughs> it kind of started like recently, like, um, I guess, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I just gave myself permission. I guess when you're a student, you're always, yeah. I, I guess I always came up from the mindset, like I'm not a composer, like I've never taken composition lessons and I will give props to people who are like legit, <laughs> you know, they have a composition degree and their brains are like 10 times more complex and smart than somebody like me. And like, that is, you know, totally amazing. And I guess holding that in that high regard, I just, I was always like, you know, I've always been creative, I guess, with music, but I never was like, well, I can't compose. I can't write anything. I did a lot of arranging. I wrote a lot of front ensemble books, I guess. And I think that's really helpful for orchestrating and 
you are having to kind of come up with new material to fit with what's happening. Um, so I definitely think that helps. Um, but I guess when you're in college too, you're always just looking for the next cool, important standard repertoire to play. Yeah. And, you know, finally, I guess I, I still feel like a kid, but I'm getting older. <laughs> and I, I just had this realization like last summer where I was like, you know, trying to figure out what to play and what was the next thing to do. And I was like, you know, I've had these ideas rattling around in my head. I'm just going to write it down. Like, I'm allowed. I gave myself permission to write my own stuff and play it. And then I thought about all the other percussionists that are doing that. And, right. you know, I was like, well, I'm just going to try it out and see how it goes. And um, so I kind of, you know, I took like a two-week uh, like walkabout. I just like totally unplugged social media, email, and everything. I kind of just dove in and like wrote three pieces. Um, right. So well, that's what I've kind of been trying out so well i think it's it's cool and what what i mean the best point you made was giving yourself permission i mean i i think you're totally right when you're you know when you're i won't say younger because people can go to school at any age but like <laughs> when you are in school you kind of have different priorities or different focus or you know maybe like i did study some composition in in undergrad um so maybe you have some of that experience but kind of when you get older or get established a little bit more and you you know you feel more comfortable like totally mm -hmm. giving yourself permission get allowing yourself to like try something different or be have another creative outlet so i think that's a really important point i mean i won't tell you how old i am either but like i'm definitely at a point <laughs> where it's like oh i should have you know i wish i you know would have done more recording or you know kind of learned engineering or yeah. mixing or whatever and Jamel who works here is like well it's not too late <laughs> you know it's not so you know that's something that you know I kind of want to pursue is like, you know give myself permission and get permission from my wife to buy a bunch of mics and software and everything <laughs> everything I need uh but so uh no I think it's a great a great point so you just had a piece released by Tapspace the um if I'm saying this right Omnis Trio um okay yeah and so that i mean obviously that's a trio you and annie have a duo you've composed some stuff for the two of you uh what are some of those other other pieces well let's see i mean i think most of the stuff uh that i've written that annie and i've played is like arrangements like oh, we have sure. like a my favorite things arrangement and then a radiohead arrangement um i wrote faded lines which is snare drum duo that's also a tap space tune mm -hmm. um, that we've played together. Um, and then uh, I've recently written some solo stuff. And then Omnis Trio, I wrote that like in 2017 um, when we had uh, programmed Trio per Uno. And then some things transpired and we kind of made a last minute call to change the programming. So I pumped that piece out over a weekend. <laughs> my students hearts they like learned it in a very short amount of time and did a really great job um 
And so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool, fun piece. It's like for bass drum, and then each person has bongos and some opera gongs. Um, and there's more melodic content in the opera gongs, I think, um, that I added that uh, I thought was cool. Because the dream, the dream opera gongs, the pitch-bending gongs are cool. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so we played that, and then uh, finally, yeah, uh, just getting it published through Tap Space. So. Yeah, and I was kind of checking out one piece, uh, Kibo. Solo oh, snare yeah. drum and mallet quartet, and this kind of leads into another question I had just about influence. I mean, um, I mean, obviously with the kind of some Bob Becker influence with is it Mudra? Yeah. I think is one of, like a similar idea. I mean, is that kind of what like things that you're interested in or some influences and in that kind of obviously? I mean, we're everybody's influenced by other. Other mm-hmm. artists, other compositions, other types of whatever. Um, I mean, obviously that was uh, a pretty heavy influence. Is there are kind of other things that that you pull from, other ideas, or it's just kind of like you wake up one day and, or I guess you mentioned you had some some themes or some melodies running through your head at some point and you got them out. It's kind of. I mean, it's definitely both. I, I do think you kind of you sound like what you listen to to a certain extent and i guess right. you know music that i really really enjoy of all different types greatly impacts me you know even right. if i hear something and like i really like the timbre of that i like the harmony of that you know i like the rhythm of that i kind of file stuff away that i really um react to i guess right. and that's something that impacts me Kibo definitely was my first composition ever. That's my baby. Um, <laughs> cool. And I sat on that for a long time. And, and so yeah. actually in grad school, Bob Becker taught a sabbatical. Re- she went on a sabbatical replacement. So he was there for a semester and he was oh, working okay. on his rudimental arithmetic book, snare drumming. So we were doing a lot of snare drumming and like different kind of sticking permutations and um, rhythmic subdivisions that were kind of crazy. And so he had me write a solo and I was like, again, I was, it was super scary because I had never written anything, <laughs> let alone a snare drum piece, you know. Yeah. And I, uh, so that was the first version of Kibo was just her solo snare drum based on a lot of his uh, rudimental rhythmic tick stuff that we were working on. And that was like in 2005. Then I sat on that piece for like 10 years. Right. <laughs> and in 2015, I, by that time, I had been studying some, Joe Tompkins solos and done more Pratt. You know, my snare drumming background is kind of backwards. I started with violin and then a lot of marimba, uh-huh. and then I really came to like snare drum like later. And it's usually for percussionists, it's opposite. You start on snare drum and then you kind of do the mallet thing. So right. um, I kind of beefed it up and like added a bunch of stuff to it. Um, and then I thought, well, you know. Actually, so and so, so that's where the rhythmic language comes from. But then the original, like, Kibo comes from the song Africa by Toto. I really like that song, and I like the hmm. rhythms in that song. And so right. when Bob said, you need to write a piece, I was like, well, I can't just pull this from thin air. So I thought, what's a song that I really like the rhythm to and right. the groove to? So that kind of is where those rhythmic cells come from. So then when I added the ensemble stuff later so I could play it with students, um, I, it's not like a cover of Africa, but the harmonies right. I really like. It's rich harmonies. It's not just a one-five-one thing. There's some nice changes in that tune. So um, that's where that came from. Um, and then, I mean, I think, you know, stuff that 
I'm really inspired by nature, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I go to the beach and I love it. And it just like gives me ideas for timbres and sounds. And I really like rhythm. So I hear there's several like pop songs that I'll hear that have right. kind of complex, interesting rhythmic stuff that, you know, I'll remember that rhythm. And I'm like, I really, really like that. And that has been like, you know, the motive for a lot of stuff that I've written and, um, you know, Radiohead's kind of like that. I love Radiohead's harmonies and their rhythm oh. and how they kind of trick you metrically. I love that stuff, man. So, um, yeah, I filed it away. And then I have woken up in the middle of the night and just woken up and uh, had an idea in my head that I had to get up and write down. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know get where out, I came from. Get out from, your, but... your voice recorder. and. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, yeah. it's so full. My voice memos are so full of stuff. <laughs> This last bit was pulled from a conversation with Matthew Lau, where I was very curious about the brand he's created within his concert programming, performances, and social media presence. In my mind, he's really pulled everything together creatively and enthusiastically. Another side note, I say the words brand and vibe about 50 times in this segment. I was still trying to find my podcast legs in episode 10, so try not to be too critical. Thanks. One thing I really wanted to, to pick your brain about also was, I mean, you call you called yourself being dramatic earlier, and then you mentioned Celine Dion. Like, you have this really unique kind of fun uh, brand. Like, oh, you mean a, a wallflower oh. like me? No, I'm <laughs> right. Like, well, you've created a brand for yourself. Like, when we met at Pasic, and you had like. You had like stickers of your profile and like your your kind of vibe, your visual down, and, and then obviously you know you really identified your aesthetic kind of musically and how you represent yourself, like as a brand. Like, is that something you sort of consciously developed, or it's it's just kind of who you are and is permeated what you do? I think a lot has to do with my my upbringing because my parents given you know Chinese and all they're very um they're fun they're not very con- conservative right um you know my mom's in fashion she's she's seen a yeah. lot of people um and my dad my dad he he is in fashion now but he was working for the government he was a what I don't even know what he does something yeah. to do with a housing department some some, some something brainy um <laughs> right. So, but he was never like, oh, you need to be a lawyer. You need to be mm-hmm. a doctor. You need mm-hmm. to be this. Because I, lo- I know a lot of people here just doing this, not even just Hong Kong, like all over Asia, because it's a guaranteed way to make money. It's you can live a comfortable life, but you're not happy doing that, right? Sure. Um, but my parents never like that. They were like, do whatever you want that makes you happy. Um, so I was never shot. I mean, hello, if you met yeah. me. <laughs> I was never yep. shy. I've would, seen it in I person. Would, yes. Yeah. Oh, you have to experience it in person. So, <laughs> so it's too good. It's too good. Right. Um, yeah. So I was always like, you know, I wanted to do what I want, and, and yeah. I'm not shy about it. Mm-hmm. The I mean, it, I went through a dark phase when I was doing my master because it was a lot of different opinion. It's, you know, you're also in New York, so people are n- not exactly the nicest and they're very negative at points. Sure. And 
there there a lot of people telling me what to do and say oh you know you don't have a competition experience you're not a prodigy you don't have you don't have um, all this experience in your resume or you don't win this competition or blah 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 oh you shouldn't do this because it's not right because who 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 and you know we're not doing that and I was like why can I do what I want right yeah who cares that was like a brief. I don't know, two, one year, one year and a half point. And mm-hmm. when I got to Stony Brook, um, I met all these fabulous colleagues of mine. And we all very diverse. We we have, we all play contemporary music, but we all have so much different things going on. And, and mm-hmm. I, I got to experience a lot of like, oh my God, this is like, what, what I know is only like a little sliver. Um, right. So at that point I was like, I, you know, like, F those people. I didn't listen to them. I'm going right. to find my own voice. And it's what really helped me on, on rap and everything. I mean, what I like musically reflect on my personality. Mm-hmm. And my branding, it's like a... It, it happened, like, by accident, to be honest. Yeah. The, those yeah. stickers and the, the graphic that, you know, you saw on my, on my face, right. that was not intentional. Yeah. My hair wasn't intentional to, to begin <laughs> with. It it's, wasn't. Yeah, it's just who you are. Because, you know, I had a barber... Because um, I have really straight, um, like, thin Asian hair. So when I put it down after a shower, it's, like, straight, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. So when you see, like, people with gorgeous, curly, thick hair who wake up and, like, just have, like, a poof going on, like, mm-hmm. I was really jealous. Yeah. And growing up and going to salons, they were like, you know, you can't do it because you have thin Asian hair right. so you know I didn't try to do it but up until I met this barber in New York he was like oh we know we can make it happen he's this like great Russian guy mm-hmm. so he gave me a cut and it was, I don't know what he does but think of my poof now but maybe two <laughs> inches slightly shorter okay right? so yeah. it happened so I'm like how can I do it how can I do it to the extreme right like if I wanted to go all out like a mohawk punk kind of thing Right. What do I do? So I asked my friend who had a mohawk, and like, you should use this gel. So I did, and it got bigger and bigger. And <laughs> at one point, it was it was almost like a sculpture. It was too it was too tall at the time, you know. And, and, oh really? And yeah, it, the, that that was kind of scary. People people like kids were pointing at me, and like there was they were like, <laughs> "Mom, what is that?" And then you know, it, it got toned down to where I I mean, it's not subtle, but you know, it's like right. a paste. It's like a pastry. <laughs> it really does look like a pastry. Right. It's not, I mean, it's not full of, uh, you know, jam or jelly or anything. It's. Uh, you might it, be surprised. It, it's, 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 it's on what day it is. It's still early in the morning, so anything. It's full of secrets. You don't you know. Uh, well, but, I don't know. But I just, my friend from Australia, Adam Tan, who has a thriving blog and, right. you know, YouTube following, and he said I should put that on a sticker. That was his idea. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's smart because it does. I mean, I, I know it seems small. I mean, it's just, you know, pre, part of your appearance, but it it does set you apart. And, and I don't mean brand, like, just the way you look, but, like, the way you approach, I guess, your business, like, your, how you're traveling and the music you're playing and, and you, you know, your look, your vibe. Like, it all seems very cohesive, like, and I, I was just curious, I guess, if you've kind of thought it all through or if it's all, all these pieces have just kind of come into place as you've 
have you developed as a percussionist? And they, they they sort of just come together. I mean, I'm yeah. a very I'm a Libra. I'm a very controlling. I, I like I get paranoid when I mm-hmm. when I know things are not in my control. But there's yeah. something like I you know as I get older, things you can control, and and they might be a good accident, right? So that yeah. that's what's happening. Um, is that something you would suggest for kind of younger players? Or I mean, obviously to be themselves and not you know. Trying, like you said, you you had maybe some critics or some negative uh, vibes. Like you know, obviously you don't listen to those. Be yourself, be who you are. But as far as kind of developing a broader picture of themselves, like would you suggest that as a player? I would suggest talk to a lot of people. Sure. Um, yes, you should trust your teacher. You should do your exercises, your etudes, your. You, you know, keep a practice journal. You should trust your teacher on, you know, certain things like that. That's like mm-hmm. a hard fact, right? What you should play. Um, if you play this piece, you can you can, you can can achieve this technique. You can play the next piece, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, when you talk to more people, you have to keep an open mind, basically. Yeah. Like, there's, there's always more than one solution. Just because who and who did this in their life doesn't mean you have to do the same thing. It might yeah. work out for her or him, but it might mm-hmm. not work out for you. Um, when I was in Florida in Mount Lab, that, that the summer intensive that I taught, a lot of the younger, like the senior in high school, freshman college, they they want a definite answer on a lot of things. And I, I tell them I don't know the answer because it's not as black and white as you think. You, yeah, sure. It takes years to figure it out. Like for me, I'm still trying to figure out, like talk to a lot of people, talk to your peers, talk to your upperclassmen, talk to your teacher, talk to your mm-hmm. teacher's friend, take a lot of lessons and, you know, really, really, really think. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you cannot just talk to people and not practice. That's just not going to happen. Right. You have to practice. You have to be kind to people. When you, when you talk to people, you're going you're, you're, you're gonna to talk to nice people. You're going to get, like, nasty people and mm-hmm. be positive about things. You know, I think being positive is really important especially you in the arts. This is not exactly easy. Um, so I think you have to be positive the whole time. And yeah. if, if, you know, if you're talking to some nasty people, great, you don't have to be nasty. That's just good manners. You can just back <laughs> off and, and, you know, just yeah. don't, don't, don't get sucked up into your negative energy. Yeah. I should have you talk to my girls sometime. Like, just don't be nasty. Just be don't nice. Be nasty. Do you, use love, your banners, don't, don't be nasty. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> This has been a BSP production, recorded and produced out of the Black Swamp Percussion Facilities in Zealand, Michigan. Audio and production assistance by Nathan Coles. Intro and outro music by Adam Hopper. Music sprinkled throughout the episode was from Anthony DiBartolo. Hope you enjoyed this best of episode, and we'll be back with a new guest in a few weeks. Take care.